Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. We are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. And as you're turning in your Bibles there, let me just add my welcome to you. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a joy to open up God's Word together. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here, all of us, to sit under God's preached Word. So let's expect Him to do what only He can do and to use His Word to encourage us, to build us up, and to make us more like Christ. So let's begin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And we'll read to the end of this chapter. Here Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, let's pray, and then we will... We will get into it. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us. Lord, we do pray and ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves, that you would use your word to mold us into what you would have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us now, that you would give us attentive hearts, that you would let us hear and let us see as has already been prayed. And Father, would you do this for the good of your people, for the salvation of those yet to be yours, and for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so before we dig in, what I want to do is I want us to consider a question together. And the question is this, what does it look like to live the Christian life well? I think that's a fair question, and it's the one I want us to consider. But let's ask it maybe a little bit more directly even than that. Is my faith pleasing to the Lord? Is my faith pleasing to the Lord? Is it a praiseworthy faith? So as we look to these scriptures, as we look to the example of the Thessalonians, what I want us to do is to not just see and be thankful for what God has done in the Thessalonian believers, but I want us to look at their example and I want us to long for a faith like theirs. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think it's one of the things that we can often forget 
the longer that we live the Christian life. I mean, I know this about myself. I know this about my own heart. Things come into my life. Things get difficult, or I'm just kind of a pitiful person. Things don't even have to be really that bad. I can just be walking down a sidewalk on a sunny day and just feel sorry for myself. It's just the way we are as sinners. But I think the longer we live the Christian life, the one thing that we often lose is that passion that we first had when Christ came to us. And so I think it's good for us in this moment to look at this example and to long to desire to have a faith like these believers. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to see three things in their example that are very important for us as we consider what it is to live the Christian life well. So the first thing is this, their faith is divine. Their faith is divine. So what I want to do is I want to start actually in verse 4 as we begin to unpack this section of Scripture. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What I want us to see is that Paul's thanks, because again, he begins in verse 2 with, We give thanks. So everything that follows verse 2 is all about Paul giving thanks. And immediately after that, what he does in verse 3 is he tells them what he's thanking them for. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to understand. In, in the original language, here I understand why they do it, but in verse 4, it's a new sentence being started. But in the original, verse 3 flows naturally into verse 4, and I think that's important to bring up because what it does is it helps us to understand that Paul's thanks, the entirety of his thankfulness for the Thessalonians, is actually grounded in God's sovereignty. So he, he tells them all of the things that he's thankful for, and then moving into verse 4, essentially what it says is, knowing, brothers loved by God, your election. That, that's how it's written in the original. Thank you that you have displayed all of these things, knowing, brothers loved by God, your election. Now, why is that important? Because one way that we could actually translate this in verse 4 is we could say, because we know. Because we have seen, because it has become evident to us by the way that you have lived your life that you are one of God's chosen. And what that means as he is thanking God for their lives and the example that they have set is that he is reminding them, we are so thankful for these good works in your life because we know that your faith is born of the love of God. Oh, friends, that's... I can't imagine a better thing to hear from a respected pastor, missionary, apostle than I'm so thankful that your life is evidence that you are chosen by God. Forget giving me the accolades. Forget reviewing all of the wonderful things I've done. Tell me that my life is evidence that I have received the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. And so it's important that we see that. Paul tells Titus 
in Titus chapter 3, he explains this idea of election like this. Starting in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves, that's talking about Paul and all of the brothers with him, for we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Okay, so just stop there. Verse 3 describes everyone that is outside of Christ. When I read verse 3, I have moments in my life that are defined by that. I can look back and I can run the highlight reel of my life and I can say, I know, Paul, exactly what you mean when you say we were once foolish. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. I know what it was to be a slave to myself. And then verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friends, if we want to talk about what a pleasing Christian life looks like, we can't skip past the fact that it is God who has saved us from ourselves. He has drawn us into the very life that he has called us to. But there's something important here as well in 1 Thessalonians, in in chapter 1. And it's that Paul is very sure to make sure that we understand that the gospel is a Trinitarian gospel. So, so he, he tells us that these brothers and sisters, they are chosen, and that means that they are chosen by God the Father. The, the word for chosen there is actually elect. They, they are the elect ones. And election simply means that in eternity past, God, because of his good pleasure, in his grace, and according to his love and his mercy, he chose his children unto salvation. It's what he told Titus. He didn't choose us because of any righteousness in us. He simply chose us out of his love and mercy. And so here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is reminding these dear believers, it is God in his goodness and according to his mercy that you are righteous in his sight. It's what he has chosen you for from eternity past. He has ordained you unto this. And so what we can say is that the Father is the one who administers our faith. But you can't talk about the gospel without talking about Jesus Christ, the the Son of God. And you see the choice of the Father in his goodness. And then you see Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? He is accomplishing the will of the Father in saving us. It's one of the most mind-blowing things when you really think about Jesus making his way for 30-some years to a cross. And every moment that you get to the point where Jesus is saying, not my will, but the will of the Father, it's not yet my time. The plans of my Father are, are not yet for this moment. What is he talking about? 
He's not just talking about dying. He's not just talking about being obedient. He is talking about accomplishing the will of Father for our salvation. And so you have Jesus accomplishing what God has ordained to do from eternity past for us. He lived a perfect life. He made his way to a cross and he died on that cross and three days later he rose again that we might be saved. And unbeliever, here's what I want to tell you. If you are living in Titus chapter 3 verse 3, just roll on over to Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But God, according to his mercy, according to his love, according to his grace, not because of any righteousness in us, he saved us. But if we're going to talk about the Father and we're going to talk about the Son, we have to talk about the Spirit. And what we can say is that if the Father administers our faith, if the Son accomplishes our faith, then the Spirit is the one who applies that faith to our lives. You see, chosen isn't merely a position. Being one of the elect is not simply a title that we have. God's choosing of us, his electing of us, is not just a positional place in which we were once not righteous and now we are righteous. It is, it's, it's causal. It, it produces something in us. And the reason it produces something in us is because the Holy Spirit applies the work of salvation to our lives. All right, that's a long way of now getting to verse chapter 3. First, that's not even a real thing. Verse 3. Verse 3. So now we come back up to verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what we see now is when we come into this, understanding the way that verses 3, 4, and 5 work together, what we can see is that verse 3 isn't primarily about their good works. Now, certainly, Paul is so thrilled by the way that they are living their life. That, that's, that's abundantly clear here, that he is thankful that they are living a good, faithful, obedient life unto Christ. But, but that's not the primary reason he's thankful. He's thankful because of the outworking of the gospel in their lives. The, the Christian Standard Bible helps us because it translates it like this. So, so what do I mean? He's, he's thankful about the outworking of the gospel in their life. So verse 3 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Again, what Paul is saying is, brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, I am so thankful for the fruit of election in your life. I am so thankful that what God has chosen you unto, you are living that life. And then you get to verse 5, and then you begin to understand why they are able to do this. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also empowered in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Here's what he's saying to them. 
brothers and sisters, I am so thankful. I am so thankful for your, your work of faith, your, your labor of love, and your endurance, your steadfastness of hope. But even more than that, I am so thankful that the Spirit is doing a work in you that is beyond your power and ability. I am so thankful that the Spirit of God is working, you, working in you in ways that are probably unimaginable to the people that used to know you. I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God is doing something in you that you may have not even thought possible for yourself. I'm so thankful that the power of the Spirit in you is producing something in you that you may not feel is possible. Praise God for the Spirit moving in your lives. So here's the point. What what, what does this matter to us? Well, it matters everything to us if we are Christians. But here's, here's the point. We're, we're not meant to fabricate a faithful life out of thin air. Uh, I feel like so often we, we walk around as believers and, and we just kind of wonder, like, am I living faithful enough? How do I live a faithful life? Like, is this good enough? Like, I, just, I don't know, I just feel kind of like depressed in my faith because I feel kind of stagnant. And there's just not a lot of movement. And uh, we, just, we just begin to think and our mind gets wondering and we just don't even know that we're actually living the Christian life like we're supposed to live it at all. But here's the point. We're not supposed to fabricate a faithful life out of thin air. We are called to live out the faith that has been so graciously given to us. It's what he wants the Thessalonians to know before he moves on to anything else. Praise God that you are living out the faith that has been so graciously given to you. But how are we to know how we're actually to live? Because if we ended the sermon there, um, y'all would be pretty upset with me. And I think the Thessalonians would be pretty upset with Paul if he was like, okay, chapter 2. They'd be like, no, wait, you didn't finish chapter 1. Which brings us to point 2. Their faith is shaped. Their faith is shaped. So this uh, second half of verse 5, it's actually a really important part of this passage, and it's so easy for us to skip over. Probably number one, because we think it's so basic that we don't really need to pay a lot of attention to it, but maybe also because we're like, why, Paul, did you put that sentence there at the end of verse five? Like, it doesn't even really make sense when you read through it. But here's what he says. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You see, Paul was so keenly aware that the way he lived his life was not only important, but it was powerful in the lives of the people he came in contact with. Turn over to Acts chapter 16, and, or excuse me, Acts 17, and we'll, we'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis... And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Uh, This is Paul and Silas. And, verse 2, Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob 
set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Verse 6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Paul was very aware of the importance and the power of living the Christian life well. You see, right before Acts chapter 17 is Acts chapter 16. And at the end of Acts chapter 16, it's the account of the Philippian jailer and his conversion. Because Paul and Silas were in this prison because they had been persecuted for preaching the gospel and doing miracles, and they were arrested and they were locked away. And then they make their way into to Thessalonica and they start preaching. And once again, there's an uproar. And for probably three weeks or so, Paul and Silas are with the Thessalonian believers and they are suffering through this persecution. They are suffering through the mobs rising up and trying to oppress the gospel. And here's what I want us to realize. He says at the end of verse 5, and you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You see, what Paul did in living with the Thessalonians is he taught them how to live the Christian life well. He taught them how to live the Christian life faithfully by suffering in their midst. Paul didn't merely preach the gospel to them. He lived it. He taught them by the way that he lived their life. And his ability to suffer well was a sermon in and of itself to the believers in Thessalonica to be able to endure and suffer in the midst of persecution. So Paul did not leave them to figure out how to be faithful. He didn't preach the gospel to them and just say, you guys, aren't you so glad that God has chosen you unto salvation? We'll see you later. He he doesn't do that. He lived out the example of Christ for them. And then what our text tells us is that they turned around and then they lived out the example of Paul who was living out the example of Christ before all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here's what we need to take note of. Paul didn't just give them teaching in words. He gave them teaching in the way that he lived our life because the Apostle Paul understood maybe more than anyone that faith by design needs to be shaped. Faith by design needs to be shaped. And and emphasis on need. I mean, I've lived the Christian life for at least a little while now, and I know what those seasons of having basically no one investing into me, what it produced in me. 
it produced a faith that basically looked like what I thought it should look like. And in some ways, praise God for his grace in sustaining me through those moments. But there were also a lot of things that as I got mature and as people started to invest into me, things I realized like, man, I made that up. Like that's not even true or real. And that Bible verse isn't even in the Bible. Our our faith needs to be shaped. And this is one of the reasons why that gathering together on a Sunday morning is so important and singing together and coming to to Bible studies and and being here during member meetings and, and looking around the room and getting to know your fellow believers because your faith needs to be shaped and the grace that God has given us to do that is His church. We're not a group of people who get together as some sort of club. We are a family that is coming together to worship our Father. And so, man, if you find yourself in great need, if you find yourself as a believer at the bottom and thinking, oh, man, I just I just need so much. I just I need people to pour into me, but I I just I'm too proud to do that. Well, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul doesn't just think it's a good idea that you have your faith shaped by someone. He thinks it's a necessity. It's by God's design that our faith would be shaped. Um, I, I remember, I don't honestly remember a lot because I don't have a good memory. And don't ever, by the way, just don't go to Google and type in, I don't have a good memory, what's going on? It's not. It produces only bad things. I have a friend who did it once. I don't know by experience, but I do remember one thing vividly. And it was in fourth grade. I loved my fourth grade teacher. Her name was Miss Dalton, and she was the best teacher that I ever had. And and I remember the day that she shared these words with us. And I remember being a young boy, and these words were, were captivating to me, like almost intoxicating. And these were the words. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I, I remember hearing that. And just, you know, circumstances of life, for whatever reason, that Robert Frost poem just really meant a lot to me. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't really matter what has happened in my life. I'm going to take the road less traveled. I'm going to I mean, I'm, I'm in the fourth grade, and I just remember, like, you know, like, poke the chest out that I don't even have, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this life by the horns. And I was just, like, motivated. And, you know, we do. We find it admirable. We even find it heroic, the, the idea of going it alone. You look at someone who starts a a, a multi-billion dollar corporation out of their garage, or you you look at someone who has just really endured a lot in life, and they've done really well, and no one has helped them, and and we, we admire those types of people. But if we ever think that we can live the Christian life in that way, we lose everything. 
you see, one of the things I had to forget was, okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay to take the road less traveled. It's, it's okay, that's fine. But if I think that as a believer, this is the way I should live my life, then I am mistaken and I am losing so much good that God has prepared for me. Look back at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Friends, how do you think as brand new baby Christians, they learned to endure much affliction with joy by spending time with Paul and Silas? It's why he looks at them in verse 5, and verse 5 actually makes sense between verse 4 and verse 6. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you. Because we taught you how to endure much affliction with joy. You see, what verse 6 does is it pushes back against the idea that our personal faith, our relationship with the Lord should ever be a private faith. I mean, it's one of the, the great things. I mean, you've heard presidents say it. Yes, I'm a, I'm a man of faith, but I, I believe that my faith should be private. Oh, well, that's not Christian faith then, because it's not the way God has designed us to be. He hasn't just saved us as individuals and said, hey, uh, I'm so thankful that somebody came and they preached the gospel to you and that you got saved. Good luck navigating your life. No, what happens is someone gets saved, God grips their heart, he makes them righteous, and then he brings them into the family of God because those new believers, and just newsflash, all of us need to have our faith shaped by his word and by the word being lived out through the people of God. And so if we want to know what living the Christian life well looks like, it's number one, understanding that our faith is a gift of God. And number two, it's understanding that we should never be so proud that we try to live the Christian life alone. Your faith needs to be shaped. The need you feel right now in your faith is a good instinct. So act on it. And I do just want us to understand that not only does our faith need to be shaped, it, it will be shaped. It will be shaped. It's, it's either going to be shaped by good things that stem from God's word, or it's going to be shaped by Bible verses that are out of context, or you're going to go to your grandma's house, and you're going to look at the motivational things in her kitchen, and you're going to be like, you know what? God does bring good things to people who do good things to other people. Like, okay, well... I'm so thankful that your grandma has that placard in her kitchen, but that is not biblical. But, but it's, it's what we do. By design, faith needs to be shaped. And so if it's not being shaped in the context of the local church, the world, even the good things of the world, will shape our faith. And so the question is, what or who is shaping yours? If you want to ask the question, how do we live the Christian life well? Or, or like we said, is, is my faith praiseworthy? Am, am I living the faith well? Then we have to understand that our faith is being shaped, and we have to then ask the question, what is shaping it? Who is teaching me to follow 
Jesus who is helping me along the way. And, and man, this doesn't become any more apparent than when we are going through difficult things. And we have seen people in this church in this past year and, and years before, but especially in this past year, who have literally come to us and said, I don't understand how anyone would walk through something like this without a church family. Because it is relatively easy to live the Christian life when things are going well and you're not being challenged. I mean, every one of us can walk down the street and we can be whistling worship songs to ourselves. but as soon as affliction comes into our life, we're like, what was I whistling? I don't even know how I could believe that in this moment. Is God even good? Why, why would he do this? Why would he allow this? If God is so good, then how could he possibly let this happen? And it's in those moments that you need brothers and sisters to come alongside of you and say, those are all great questions. Let's talk about it. I've been where you are. I understand the pain that you're facing right now. But I want to tell you and I want to lift your face with my hands to see that God is good and Jesus does truly bring a peace that surpasses all understanding. Weak Christian, lift your eyes and see. Friends, we need people to do that for us. Sometimes our heads get so heavy that we cannot lift them for ourselves. And here, Paul is praising them for living the Christian life that has been shaped through the church. And so then finally, their faith is transformative. Verses 8 through 10 here. So, okay, our faith can be shaped. That's, that's, that's good. That's important to know. But what we also need to understand is that our faith can speak. So verse 8, Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Okay, so, so what exactly did their faith say? Well, verses 9 and 10, fortunately, exist in the Bible to tell us exactly that. For they, that is, the, the people who have heard, the people in Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere, apparently, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what their faith said is it spoke of the transforming work of the Spirit. Go back. You don't have to flip there, but Acts chapter 17, verse 6. What, what is the thing that they said? They said these, these men... Uh, yeah, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Their faith, just like in Philippi, just like in all of the other provinces before them, the gospel of Jesus Christ has now come to Thessalonica and the world is literally being turned upside down. And here's why. 
because they're believing the gospel. These strange people are gathering together and they are confessing that they are sinners before a holy God and that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah and that they have placed their faith in him and they have received grace and mercy and love and salvation from the Lord. They're, they're leaving their idols, the Bible tells us. They're, they're serving the one true and living God and forsaking all of the other false gods that ha- they have created in their life, whether they are made of wood and stone or whether they come in the form of paper and coins. They're giving up their idols to serve this one God. And then maybe in the strangest turn of events possible, they are awaiting with hope and joy Jesus Christ's return even as they suffer. And so in Thessalonica, what their faith is saying is that, yes, truly, the gospel has turned the world upside down. We are not like we used to be. And here's what I want us to see. I want us to see the simplicity of such a praiseworthy faith as the Thessalonians had. And it's this. They actually lived as this as if they had actually been saved. I think you kind of get to the end and you realize what Paul is saying. Man, God has done a great work in you. I'm so thankful that the context of this new church is shaping you and that you guys followed our example and now you're being an example. And, and, I, and I'm so thankful that this faith has changed your life radically. But ultimately what he's saying is, I'm so thankful that you're living as if you have actually been saved. I'm so thankful that you have understood the call of the gospel is to live and to follow truly Jesus. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians here as we, we begin to close our time. Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If we want to understand what it is to live the Christian life well, if we want to understand why the Thessalonians would receive this letter of praise from Paul, it's because they lived by faith, not for themselves, but for Christ. They simply looked at their lives and they thought, how should I live in light of what Christ has done and in light of what he has called me to and in light of what his spirit has empowered me to do? And then that's what they did. So what do we make of all of this? What are we supposed to do? Because I do think there is a takeaway. I don't think that we should look at the Thessalonians and think, man, I just really wish I was as faithful as they, they were. Man, I'm, I'm just, I'm so envious of their faith. I don't think that would be a good thing. I think what we're supposed to do, what, what we're to walk away with is this. We should pray, would God do such a work in me too? God, what you did in the believers in Thessalonica, would you do that in my heart too? Would you do that in the life of our church too? Because if we ask him, he will do it. So let's, let's pray. Uh, but, but what I want to do is we're about to witness two baptisms here in just a moment.
And so after the, the last song, we'll get to see these believers uh, join our church officially through baptism, and what a joy that is. But during this last song, what I, what I want us to do is I want us to see it as a moment to respond to the message that we've just heard. There is nothing about coming to the front that makes this moment better than staying in your seat. And so what I want you to do is I just want you to respond as the Spirit leads you, whether it's in your seat or if you want to come and pray with an elder, that's totally fine. But during this last song, ask God to do this work in you and in our church. I mean, if we're all crying out together that God would do that, I believe he will. So let's pray, and then during the last song, let's do that. And the elders will be here if you want to pray. But after the last song, we will hear some testimonies and see some baptisms. And so praise God for that. Let me lead us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have had together. Thank you for your word. I, I thank you that your word is powerful. It is active and living. It does a work in us that we can't even do for ourselves. And we know that's true because it comes in the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, would you, would you do a work in our lives now that would be pleasing to you, that would build our church up and would set Crosspoint and the believers that make it up as an example to those in our city and all around the world. And, Father, would you do this for the good of our church, for the good of our families, for the good of our community, and for your glory and for the exaltation and for the fame of Jesus Christ. For this we pray and ask. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.